In the podcast justice system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups, the podcast police who investigate podcast crime and the podcast attorneys who prosecute the offenders. These are their stories. All rise for the Honorable Judge Charlie. All right, all right. Let's get this nonsense started already. Will the defendants clearly state their names for the court? I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam, what exactly is going on here? Do you, the plaintiffs, understand the charges against you and your stupid little podcast, Battle of the Atom? No. Not even a little bit. Why are you being so mean? Where are we? There will be order in the high court of podcasting. Bailiff? Yes, Your Honor. Please tase both of the defendants. As you wish. Your Honor, on behalf of the law firm of Edelman and Edelman, I request leniency. Our clients will behave and do not require tasing. Very well. Dang it. Christy. Chris? Uh, What the heck is going on? How do you plead? How do we plead for what? What did we do? If it pleases the court, Your Honor, the defendants would like to have the charges against them read aloud. Any objections from the prosecution? Honestly, Your Honor, I'd be delighted to hear the charges against these two idiots again. The law firm of Grote and Lazowitz supports the rereading of the charges. Very well, Zachary Jenkins and Adam Reck, you are charged with having a very silly and stupid show, ranking X-Men stories incorrectly, incorrectly claiming your rankings are official, and choosing the wrong microphone more than once. How do you plead? I'm, I mean... The show is kind of stupid. Not guilty, Your Honor. Yeah, not guilty. (laughs) Court reporter, please record the plea, and we'll now hear the prosecution's opening. Members of the jury, has there ever been a more incompetent pair of podcast hosts? Week after week, ad-libbing nonsense, blah, 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 blah. You know they have no idea what they're doing when they're ranking things. Just complete idiots. It's all made up. I mean, come on. As Guardian Wars in the top 10? Hey. Shh. These two losers couldn't rank themselves out of a paper bag. That didn't even make sense. I'd ask how many Zacks it would take to screw in a light bulb, but he can't even find the right microphone. Hey, 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 I was moving. I was in a hurry. It was a really tough time. Your Honor. We'd like to call our first and only witness to the stand. You may call your witness. Your Honor, the prosecution calls Thomas Cummins. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help me God. What am I swearing on this Blue Yeti microphone? Okay, great. Yes, I swear. Thomas, do you or do you not run the very popular X-Men Duh Twitter account? Uh, duh. Would you describe yourself as an X-Men expert? Absolutely. Very much so, yes. And what do you think of these two jamokes over here? They're morons. Thank you. That is all. The prosecution rests. That was their case? They just insulted us a bunch of times. What kind of court is this? Jerry, I hope you listened very carefully to what the prosecution said, because they're absolutely right. But I guess we have to listen to the defense. Edelman's, you may present your case. 
Thank you, Your Honor. Members of the jury, were there enough time, we would regale you with the heroic deeds of the defendants and how their amazing, shining personalities bring warmth to our gloomy lives week after week. But this case doesn't center on our lovable clients. It is about their show. So. So. So we're not going to defend our clients. You're not? not? They're going to defend themselves. If it pleases the court, we propose that our clients rank just three more X-Men stories. If the jury says they got it right, they're free to go. And if they get it wrong? Uh, I, I don't know. What is the possible sentence in this case? No more Battle of the Atom ever. Got it. Uh, okay, works for us. All right. Bye, guys. Good luck. Wait, wait, you're leaving us? We only paid the babysitter for an hour. Good luck. We are so... Ah. This court accepts the defense's odd premise that sounds suspiciously like making us listen to more of these two jerkwads talk a bunch, but okay. Bailiff, tell the defendants what issue they'll be ranking first. The defendants will now attempt to rank the trial of Jean Grey. The trial of Jean Grey. Man, uh, this is an epic crossover from uh, 2014, right? I mean, all of those words may be true. Uh, I'll be honest. There's a lot of stakes uh, to this crossover. It's There's a lot of looking at what could happen here, uh, which I think accurately reflects the situation that you and I find ourselves in. <laughs> I would agree. Uh, right now. I would agree. Uh, and, you know, this one was, was interesting. Uh, it, it's... Brian Michael Bendis playing off of his two ongoings. Uh, well, two of the two of his ongoings. of his ongoings. He was doing more than two, but uh, we've got a crossover here between all new X Men um, and Guardians of the Galaxy of all things. So this is like that latter period of all new X Men when he starts crossing over with all the other stuff he works on just for for funsies, I guess. There needs to be some additional context about Guardians of the Galaxy here because um, the whole worldwide understanding of Guardians of the Galaxy does need to be set up here. So this came out first issue January 2014, last issue March 2014. Mm -hmm. The Guardians of the Galaxy feature film would not appear in theaters until that August. So, dudes didn't know about the Guardians of the Galaxy when this was going. Hmm. Like, dudes dudes knew about the Guardians of the Galaxy in exactly the same way that dudes know about the Eternals right now. Yeah, yeah. Like, with a, a trailer. <laughs> I would think at least if you saw the James Gunn trailer for Guardians, you'd have a pretty good idea of what you were in store for. In Eternals, I have no idea. You'd... You'd be you'd be very confused when you got into this book to try and figure out who what what Angela from <laughs> Spawn. Spawn is doing here. <laughs> right. You know Neil Gaiman's Todd McFarlane's Angela from Spawn. Yeah. Uh, who's a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy right now? So wild, right? So that's the result of a of a, a lawsuit between Neil Gaiman. Massive lawsuit where Todd McFarlane the Todd, you know, the one of the founders of Image, one of the advocates for creator rights, uh, in the earliest issues of his spawn, Neil Gaiman came in and created Angela 
in medieval spawn. Yes. Who are medieval spawn who is very legally distinct from spawn. Because <laughs> he wears a knight's helmet on his head, I guess, and rides around on a horse. <laughs> yeah. Um, this led to a giant lawsuit where Todd McFarlane said, hey, Neil, actually, you don't own these characters. And Neil said, well, what's all this about then? <laughs> all right, then. Oi. <laughs> I don't have any strong feelings about Neil Gaiman one way or another, except for that his divorce last year was one of the funniest things to watch. That seemed a little messy. Uh, But he won, right? It seemed messy, but at the same time, I don't know about the divorce trial. I haven't followed it since. They were going back and forth between Grimes and Elon Musk on which couple was going to be the most insufferable at the beginning of the pandemic. Oof. Oof. Oof magoof. I don't know. Bringing back pandemic memories <laughs> in the bad times. Guys, we're we're I'm fully vaccinated. Adam's fully vaccinated. We're we're getting into late pandemic. Yeah, get vaccinated uh, uh and gosh. Get vaccinated. Yeah, Grimes and Elon, they're tough. They're real tough. Uh <laughs> but but back to what back to what you were saying. The trial that we were talking about yes. was the trial between Neil Gaiman and the Todd Todd McFarlane. Uh and Neil did end up winning that trial. Yeah. Um, Neil also in that trial, uh, got the rights to Miracle Man that Mm -hmm. the Todd owned. Yeah. (laughs) That was one of the settlement things. He got the rights to Miracle Man, the Alan Moore stuff. So weird. That also Neil, Neil had written the sequel to Moore's stuff and then never finished it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then he turned around, didn't he just turn around and sell, sell those rights to Marvel? Yeah. He didn't, he didn't want miracle man no he just wanted to take something beautiful from the todd (laughs) which i can appreciate again never read sandman don't have strong feelings about neil gaiman in and of itself do like the fact that he had a messy divorce in a very public space and then also the fact that he told the todd hey no creator rights (laughs) and also i'm going to take miracle man from you so that people can read it all right, so we have Angela on the team. The rest of the team is pretty much the cast of uh, the movie. Um, so we have Gamora, it is. Star-Lord, Groot, and Rocket Raccoon. Oh, and Drax. Um, they're being kind of chased. Drax the Destroyer. Yep, they're being chased across the galaxy by uh, Chris... Uh, it's not Chris Pratt. Star-Lord's father. Um, and they get entwined... Star-Lord's dad sucks, yeah. by the way. Yeah, he's... Um... That's Jason Jason of Spartax. <laughs> it's not Ego the Living Planet. He's on... Yeah, that's that's different in the movies. But um, Jason is after Star-Lord. Um, but they, they get sort of wrapped up in this conflict because uh, Gladiator uh, of the Imperial Guard has decided that oh, wow, there is a teen Jean Grey on Earth. We should probably go abduct her and uh, put her on trials for the the crimes of the Phoenix, which everybody seems to agree is a very bad idea, but they still all go along with it and let it happen. I am fascinated about how this happened because it's a story that doesn't really make sense. (laughs) And it's a story that knows and explicitly points out to Kalark, the uh, emperor of the Shi'ar, they say, Kalark, this is a bad plan. This doesn't make sense. You know time travel exists. You know how it works. You understand this. And Kalark, in a weirdly vengeful mood, says, no, she must pay. Yeah. 
Yeah, the idea is, I guess, that this teen gene will still grow up and, uh, you know, commit the sins of the previous gene. And, you know, it's a spin on this whole idea of whether the, the O5, the time-displaced O5, are actually going to repeat history or not. So, you know, we're starting this uh, um, crossover with a conversation between Cyclops and Jean Grey, where they're kind of bickering about their relationship. Um, and by the time we get to the end of this thing, we do realize that some things are different with this, uh, with the O5. Um, namely, Cyclops goes off with his father Corsair with the Star Jammers for the Cyclops solo. And Jean Grey is kind of a, like, developed new combinate power combos that we've never seen before. Um, so Jean Grey gets pink energy blasts. Those are fine. <laughs> Can we circle back to the part where Cyclops goes off and becomes a space pirate with the space pirate dad yeah. who was up until this crossover dead by Vulcan's hands? Yes. Uh, but he got better only to be in the, uh, Cyclops mini as dying of cancer or something. What was he dying of in the Cyclops? Well, no, 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 no. The Cyclops, the Cyclops mini... Uh, which we are not covering here. The Cyclops mini says that, hey, I got these drugs that help me not be dead. But if I don't keep taking these drugs that help me not be dead, I'm going to be dead. So it's the same not dead. It's just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It is. It's just like maybe coming back from the death gave him space cancer. Yeah. And he has to take maybe that. But I mean, like, that's a fair trade off from being incinerated at the foot of the Emcron crystal. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say that, uh, you know, really what we're looking at here is an excuse to show off the amazing, the insane, the incredibly talented. Uh, I can't believe we, we didn't mention it yet. Artwork of Stuart Eminem and, uh, Wade Von Graubadger, not to mention, uh, uh, Sarah Pacelli. And I believe we have Marte on, on colors here as well. So, uh, we have we have Marte Gracia on the colors for Imminent's work, uh, and then Justin Ponzer, rest in peace, on the colors on Sarah Pacelli's work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all of the art is very good in this. That's say what you will about Bendis, and you, he deserves most of what you're going to say to him. <laughs> uh, Bendis got the most out of his artists. Like, it's not like Imminent. Fine, known known entity, big deal. Pacelli wasn't like an all star. He got Pacelli on uh, Miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ultimate Spider. And then said, "Yeah," and then said, "Shoot, we're going to bring her over for Guardians." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's really like, cool is you can kind of see um, Stewart is always pushing himself, especially with this series. I mean, he's talented going into all new X Men, but. By the time we get here, he's doing this really cool thing where he does these two-page spreads where the the whole f- top, like, two-thirds of the double-page spread is, uh, you know, big group shots. So he'll have, like, 30 characters in one frame, and then the whole bottom third is paneled off. Um, and you can tell that Bendis is working that into his scripts because Sarah is doing the same thing when you get over to them. So... Um, Ponser Bendis, and- especially of this era, era loved to use double page spreads. Yes, um, and like just having the layout be across two pages, not necessarily you know just a splash. Mm-hmm. And he actually talked about the reason why he liked to do that 
is because it allowed him greater control over page turns and ad placements uh, so that, one, since it wasn't a bunch of single pages, he didn't have to end each... Like, he, he could change the pacing of a page turn. Yeah. Instead of having... You know, every page you have to have a reason to switch to the next one. He could say, "Okay, well, every two win we'll give things more time to develop," uh, and then know that okay, you're not going to turn this big bump into an ad and then be annoyed and go through. That said, super annoying to read digitally. <laughs> Absolutely, the most annoying thing in the world to read 2014 era Brian Michael Bendis comics digitally because every one of his artists does this. It was in his scripts, and it's annoying, and I don't like it. Beautiful art, though. I I can't agree with that, but that's only because I'm reading on an iPad Pro, and I could just go whoop and turn it sideways, and I'm looking at this absolutely I don't gorgeous have a, piece. I don't have a small tablet, <laughs> but I don't want to. I don't want to have to flip it. Oh, it's come like on. It, throws, it's, it takes me personally out of it because it has adjusted the way that I am consuming the comic so that now I have to mentally reassess like okay now I have to figure out how to actually read this comic instead of just page 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 okay I can't I can't get behind that if only you're making an extremely good argument for the physical floppies for these or or a trade because yes you know like having it in your hands it was written for a physical audience. I know there are other creators that I've talked to who have said that they do not like doing double page spreads because they know the type of work that they make and they've seen the numbers that it tends to be consumed or digitally and that that is an adjustment that can be annoying for people and shy them away from the comic. They say it's just as easy to do it as a, you know, if I need a splash, do a one page splash. Hmm. There's pros and cons to each. I'm not I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm saying that it bothers me. Also bothers me, and it, we haven't brought these up, but the issues for this episode are all new X-Men 22.now <laughs> through just 24 regular. Right. And Guardians of the Galaxy 11.now <laughs> through 13. Yeah, that was the the period of that month where they uh they tried to give everything sort of num- new number ones uh, without renumbering the series yeah, it's not marvel now it's all new marvel now <laughs> right right in fact i joke uh, about that all new marvel all new marvel now had a really good uh hit rate of like new series that's eh, fine yeah i think in the added promotional uh vein i think there was a limited number of the first issue of this arc uh, from all new that came with a poster of the cover so some there was even like a polybagged version of all, that uh that issue with Stuart eminent cover that you could track down um so promotions aside i i think that it's a it's a little bit of a slight uh crossover you know this whole era oh it does not need to be six issues. no this whole era of trial of gene gray and then later we get into um black vortex and then there's another arc where they cross over with miles morales it it just it seems like bendis flexing where you know he maybe it just doesn't have a clue about what to do with the team i i don't really know i don't know if it's flexing in so much that yeah he he had a pretty firm story that he wanted to tell up through Battle of the Atom. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, and they're then still he here. Didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he has he has like one 
as far as arcs go, one pretty decent arc after this, and that's the uh, future brotherhood. That's the one where they, yeah, they have to fight the future brotherhood from Battle of the Atom again. Yeah, that one's insane. Um, but then after that, there's the there's the way too long Ultimates arc, mm-hmm. uh, Black Vortex, the Utopians, which that wasn't really an is arc. The most odd dang we. Yeah, it was two issues, uh, and it was very obviously supposed to be greater than two issues. Yeah, <laughs> so we're we're starting into that real weird realm. I will say there is great delight in watching uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy and the X Men fight the Imperial Guard. I, I do think that's enjoyable. I think the you know uh, winking self acknowledgement of the idea that this is kind of a silly idea, but also trying to prove the point that these these kids are somehow going to be different than their predecessors uh is starting to grow but we know just from you know what happens in publishing history after this that there's there's not a lot of development you know what i mean these characters are going to get to a certain point and get put back in the box and forgotten about to a certain extent so it's it's harder to to prove that point the the one thing that really comes out of this semi long term, and this is more a plot point for Bendis's uh, Guardians, is that Cape Pride and uh, Star Lord begin begin to date. Yes, and it's cute and fine here. It's like okay, this is who Kitty's dating. That's whatever, but that goes to really weird and annoying places. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's we'll talk about black vortex sometime i don't care for it (laughs) yeah this is um this is much more appetizing i think so i love the art i uh enjoyed this series quite a bit when it was coming out i think in retrospect it's just kind of whatever um you want to rank this on our giant list i guess we got to do a big good job or else you know bad things could happen to the show yeah, I think I think the bailiff is uh, kind of <laughs> tapping on his watch and saying, "Get on with it, y'all! Stop talking about Neil Gaiman." Uh, we do have a very long list of all the X Men stories of all time so far. Uh, Five hundred and ten stories that we have ranked, uh, with the number one story being the House of X, Powers of Ten. Number one hundred being Excalibur, Mojo, Mayhem. Number two hundred being the Hellfire Saga from Wolverine and the X Men. Number 300 on this list, it's Quarantine from uh, the Matt Fraction, Greg Land, X-Men. Number 400 on this list is Exiled, the crossover between New Mutants and uh, that Loki book, Journey into Mystery. Uh, 500 is What If Wolverine Was Lord of the Vampires During Inferno, and the Draco's at the bottom of the list. For all new X-Men, we do have a couple all new X-Men stories on the list. Um, I think down at 112, we have all new X-Men 37. Um, I mean, all new X-Men 37 is way better than this, I think. Yeah, I I think that would probably be better. So where are you looking on this list? Jean Grey Psych Wars I'm kind of... is that 147? I think, I don't know. I think that's probably I'm looking better. like at... At two hundred, at two hundred on this list is the Hellfire Saga, I, which I think is just about as good as this. I think this is better than that. I mean, especially art wise. Um, art wise, this is very pretty. Yeah, but that's that's really its strength. It's not in its story. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not something you're just looking right above it. Like Felix Covenant Generation Next is at one eighty four. That's better than this. Mm-hmm. The first arc of Mr. and Mrs. X, I think, is better than this. Uh, 
the Madripoor Knights issue is better than this. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm coming. I'm coming back down uh, to, closer to the 200. I number. think World War X is better than this. Yeah, I do too. From Ultimate Comics X Men, Road Trip is, but it's definitely better than Negative Zone War at 201. Um, Here's exactly where this should go. At our, as our new number 197 between X Force Road Trip and Extraordinary X Men Kingdoms Fall. Oh, that's perfect. All right, I like that a lot. So this is our new 197. It's our new 197, The Trial of Jean Grey. How did we do, Your Honor? <coughs> Terrible. <coughs> I thought it was mm. awful. Just awful. You two truly don't have a brain cell between you. Luckily, I don't have to decide your fate. That's up to the jury. Jury? I don't see any jury. Oh, don't worry. They're listening. Listening to every stupid word. Their ears are probably bleeding. Right, Your Honor? That's enough out of you, Lazowitz. I mean, you're right, but... Your Honor, Your Honor, Your Honor. The defense would like to call its first witness. We can have witnesses? I mean, they had a witness. Can't we have have witnesses? So you're just going to name somebody and they're just going to show up? You may call your first witness. See, we can do this. We got this. We got this. Okay. The defense calls... Harvard professor, renowned poetry critic, and Comics XF contributor, Stephanie Burt. Oh, uh, hi. This this isn't where I expected to be right now. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God? What am I swearing on? The microphone? Really? Okay. Yes, I swear. Stephanie, thank you for taking time out of your busy day. You've guessed it on our show before. Is that correct? I have. And what was that experience like? It was pretty great. I got to talk about the life of Kate Pride, and I think I brought some real insight to the stories. And would you come back on the show again? I mean, you did rank Girl School from Heck kind of low. Zach? See? Even your witness thinks you suck. Hey, hey, hey. Yes, I would love to come back onto the show. Thank you. No more questions, Your Honor. Prosecution, your witness? Professor, isn't it true that Zach and Adam smell like farts? I'm sorry, what? The witness will answer the question. Do they smell like farts? It's a yes or no question. I mean, we didn't record in the same place, so... So you don't deny that they smell like farts? I can't really speak to their level of hygiene, but I would... The jury will note that the defendants probably smell like farts. No more questions, Your Honor. Let's get on with the ranking. Bailiff, throw them a curveball. The defendants will now attempt to rank the trial of the juggernaut. Ah, they hit us up with the Chuck Austin, Zach. (laughs) They knew what they were getting into here. I mean, we we knew when we said we were going to rank every X-Men story that we would have to reckon with Chuckles the Truckles. Uh, and Trial of Juggernaut, uh, this is right after the Draco? Yes? This is this is right after. If you remember in our coverage of the Draco, uh, there is a subplot uh, running through it about uh, Squid Boy and his abusive dad. Oh, right. And the Juggernaut. The juggernaut goes to Canada to Vancouver and is like, "Yeah, uh, I like Sammy, and you're not you're not gonna beat him, beat up him and his mom anymore." And then Alpha Flight 
arrests Juggernaut for his many crimes. Yes. Here's the thing. I was, as as you know, there is a recent series that has been announced, a uh, miniseries called The Trial of Magneto. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people online that said, Magneto's already been on trial multiple times. What What is he on trial for? And my answer to that is, his many repeated crimes <laughs> that he continues to do every time that have happened since he's done his trial. so many crimes <laughs> right right the juggernaut has also continued to always do crimes like just because just because he i would say very appropriately beat the snot out of Sammy Pear's uh crappy crappy dad that doesn't mean that he gets a pass for that time that he destroyed the World Trade Center. <laughs> well, that is one crime that uh, his uh, one of his two attorneys, She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters, does not mention in the opening monologue where she does. I got to hand it to Chuck. He does a great job calling back a wide variety of old juggernaut stories uh, in this two-page spread where she's just running down all the things. And and the last one she mentions is the bar issue with Colossus. And he goes, well, I, I paid for that. <laughs> Which he did. Right. I, I read that. I was like, hold on. Yes. Yep. Did, he, did he do a destruction of property? <laughs> did he also immediately make it right? He immediately said, I was having a bad day. I like this bar. I'm sorry. This guy stepped to me, and we're just big dudes. Here's some cash. We're good. Uh, by the way, this is Uncanny X-Men 435 and 436, written by Chuck Austin. Uh, pencils on this one by Ron Garney. Uh, it came out in 2004. And we are already on a much better plane here than we were with the Draco, because he the art is a significant improvement from where we were with the Draco gone are the glue mouths and Ron Garney's a good artist. Exactly. Like I got to say, I'm, I'm reading this and going, okay, until we get to a certain point, which I know we're going to talk about. Uh, and (laughs) we both have the exact same thought process here. That's beautiful. I'm reading this and I'm going, this isn't bad. This is actually kind of like a regular comic book. What's going on here? Uh, we get introduced to um, to Juggernaut's other lawyer, um, you know, they're... Jack White from the band. Yeah. <laughs> There's apparently been some scientific experiments going on next door to Juggernaut's holding cell where the rhino has been turned into what... I guess he's a real rhino now? Uh, he don't look so great. I guess. So uh, Juggernaut stops him and then, uh, you know submits himself back for uh processing at which point gee golly we get a scene i didn't need to see <laughs> you want to tell him what, what Listen, happens here? okay yeah so uh jennifer walters who's the she-hulk she's great she uh does sleep with her client the juggernaut the juggernaut who's a bad bad dude for the most part and she-hulk's a pretty good Good, good folk. Uh, also, very important, her client. And if She-Hulk is anything, she's a damn good lawyer. Unlike the jabronis that are, you know, like, representing us. Uh, <laughs> She-Hulk's good at her job uh, and wouldn't put people in compromising situations like that. This is a factoid in an event that upset 
Dan Slott so much that he dedicated the last issue of his She-Hulk run to retconning it to not be She-Hulk. And while I think there's definitely a bit of, like, 2000 slut-shaming going on with that decision, also may have been the correct one to say this was a bad story and we shouldn't we shouldn't reference it that page turn is rough too because they are obviously flirting with each other a little bit through the dialogue but the dialogue is more of this kind of like preachy smarmy chuck austin dialogue and in this case it's a conversation about women's rights and that's the like foreplay that leads to the double page of the two of them laying in a collapsed bed together. We get more. Yeah, that part's that part's pretty bad, uh, actually. It's... it's a good lead up to wait. This cop, this comic comes on smooth and then it turns on you. Yeah, uh, there is then a giant fight scene between our juggernaut and a new juggernaut. Uh, who I guess turns out to be like Which, a little kid who got a hold of the armor or what? Yeah, the gem. Did he get a hold of the gem? Yeah, really. yeah something, something, like, something like that. It's important to note that Kane Marco and Jennifer Walters are nude for this entire second issue. Well, they do draw uh, some convenient underwear lines on Miss Walters in a variety of panels, but yes. Theoretically, they are both running around naked while they. I assumed those were just shadows. <laughs> those were like shadows that, if you're looking for the light source in the panel, they don't really make sense. No, they never do. For they're they're mod they're chastity <laughs> shadows. <laughs> chastity shadows. <laughs> oh man, that that would make a good episode title if we weren't on trial. Um, so. Of course, all of this beat him up between Juggernaut versus Juggernaut is just another excuse for Chuck Austin to have another lecture page where uh, She-Hulk lectures Kane Marco about how careless he is and how thoughtless he is and blah, blah, blah. And it turns out there's not going to be a trial of Juggernaut anyway because uh, Sammy and his mom show up and they're like, eh, we don't really care that he destroyed the neighborhood. He did a good thing. Can we let him go? And they do. Again, the Canadian government very much should have said he destroyed the World Trade Center. <laughs> not, I, not. I know that he evacuated it first, but he has done multiple crimes. He very obviously should be put on trial. I would like to point out, because we mentioned him earlier in this episode, that that particular story is uh, thanks to one Todd McFarlane. Um, <laughs> so. And the Rob. Well, the Rob they, didn't, the Rob didn't draw culpable. that one, though. He didn't write that one. I think it's just the Todd. Um, no, because it's, it's an issue of Spider-Man and an issue of X-Force. It's the last issue of Spider-Man because there's a scene that Todd drew of Shatterstar stabbing Juggernaut in the eye. Right. Uh, and that got censored. Fun fact, the trailer for Deadpool 2 had a split-second scene where it looked like Colossus stabbed Juggernaut in the eye, which Juggernaut had yet to be announced for that movie, and Colossus very much stabbed Juggernaut in the eye. And while I don't like Deadpool 2 and think it's a bad movie... I saw that. I was like, they did the thing. They did They did the thing from the World Trade Center. That's the one. That's the one they did. They did that. Yes. Well, thankfully, in Deadpool 2, they don't 
actually collapsed the World Trade Center. Um, and they don't mention that here at all. Should- Man, they, they probably should have just allowed Shatterstar to not be immediately murdered in that movie and do the stabbing. Hey, I would have liked the movie a lot more if that uh, that stupid gag had not happened. But um, but they you're absolutely right. Like they should have kept the juggernaut. Um, they don't. And I, I this this story is only two issues long, so it's very easy to just read through. But it is a real bait and switch. Like it's amazing how Chuck kind of sw- like fooled me into thinking that I was reading a regular comic for a couple minutes, and then I oh no pulls the rug out. <laughs> No, Chuck. Chuck Austin's a master of the bait and switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, before this issue, we said the Draco happens right before this. Uh, right after this is a story we have yet to rank, though it is coming. coming I can confirm if the podcast does not get canceled, this is coming way sooner than we want it to. It's true. Uh, she lies with angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, is immediately after this. So this is bad, sandwiched in between bad I- and bad like however it is not it's as bad terrible. sandwiched in, in i'm 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 thinking through the actual chuck austin run you have that first arc hope which isn't very good uh you have the uh dominant species arc where it turns out that werewolves are taking over the world for some reason including taking over warren's <laughs> company uh you've got holy war you've got the wedding one you got the draco you got this. You got Sheila. Is this the best story in Chuck Austin's run on Uncanny X-Men? Easily. Easily, because it at least pretends for a couple seconds that it's a, that it's a regular comic book. So um, why don't we rank this? Obviously, this is not as bad as 508 and 511 on our list, which is Holy War and the Draco. Um, but it's still, still not great. This is one of those, like, I don't like it it's making me feel icky kind of stories number 416 on our list is x-men day of the atom that's the story where we find out that zorn has an identical twin brother named zorn and they (laughs) they they did a beer fest with him (laughs) is that better that's better than this right like it's right there (laughs) these are these are the level of good Chuck Austin, which I have to point out is under IVX. Yeah, I mean, I will, I will give it some credit. I think it's at least a little bit more tolerable than like Poptopia at four twenty seven. Yeah, that's about it. Um, like we're on par with honestly, the X Men movie special number one from Wizards of the Coast at four twenty two here. Okay, but you don't understand. I love that. <laughs> okay, well, it's, then it- this is. You're right. It, here's what I'd say. I would put it directly below that, but above a decimation arc from uh, the Peter Milligan X-Men. All right. I like that. That's a good place for it. So this is going to be our new 423. You know, I was really worried because in my head, I was like, man, we're ranking this awful high. And no, we're not, actually. <laughs> no, not at all. We're ranking this above, like... Marvel manga versus X-Men, I guess. <laughs> but this is a bad comic. It is a bad comic. Uh, all right. And that's all I have to say on that. God, this is exhausting. I can't believe I agreed to do this. I think we're doing pretty good. I think we're doing pretty good. Please. Well, the jury doesn't seem to think so. Your Honor, how are we supposed to react to the jury if we can't even see them? Ugh. Very well. Bailiff, 
pull back this very large red curtain that's obviously hiding the jurors. That's the jury? Why are there only four of them? Aren't there supposed to be twelve? Order in the court. You try getting jurors for the high court of podcasting, okay? Hey, at least the jurors are all our friends. Hey guys, you've got our back, right? Where do I get my five bucks? Uh, yeah. Your Honor, we'd like to call our second witness. You would like that, wouldn't you? Unfortunately, I'm not going to let you. We're running low on time. I don't want to even be here, and there's other things to do. Bailiff, bring out the big guns. The defendants will now attempt to rank the trial of Magneto. Well, I think this one's going to be tough, Adam, because like I mentioned earlier, the trial of Magneto has yet to come out. <laughs> it comes out with June in June. It's Leah Williams, friend of the show, and Valerio Shidi, who is not yet a friend of the show, though could be. If I ever DM them and say, do you want to be on the show? I am very much looking forward to seeing what Leah does with that. I was not expecting that announcement. I thought if anybody was getting a trial, it was the war criminal that is known as Hank McCoy. So real curveball there, but I don't think that's what they're asking for. I'm pretty sure they want to hear us talk about Uncanny X-Men 200 by Chris Claremont john ramita jr dan green and glennis oliver on colors tommy Orris does those letters so this one this one's pretty good right i was kind of surprised i have not read this particular issue in a while and uh just taking another look at it i was really surprised by just how smart and uh structured it is you know i thought this was really good i i I, and you know, it was rolling through my head this afternoon while I was thinking about this. If I, I thought back to when we were actually talking about Scott Lobdell's Eve of Destruction. And I remember mm-hmm. like tearing that to pieces because the very first issue of Eve of Destruction is um, like nonstop narration and talking about what Magneto is doing on Genosha. And Claremont is definitely using narration like he normally does, but, but it, there's a little bit more of it to go here. But I think that it really works. I think part of it is that Christopher Claremont's a better writer than Scott Lobdell. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> that goes without saying. Um, but he does have this really smart uh, Neil Conan of NPR narration going through this, giving you a window into what's happening inside the courthouse, outside the courthouse, and with what Fenris is doing behind the scenes uh, to sort of mess up the trial. And, I mean, there's a lot happening. I mean, this is a force, an oversized issue. Um, we've got about 40, 40 pages here. A lot happens, but it moves very, very quickly, and I think it gets its point across very, very well about what is the value of what Magneto like why why does he deserve a break and what would turning over a new leaf for magneto even mean you ever think about how chris claremont was dating manoli weatherall from npr <laughs> and definitely wrote manoli weatherall's friend and co-host uh neil conan into this very important <laughs> issue of x-men it's not the only time he appears neil conan comes back uh you know again later neil conan is a mainstay of x-men continuity <laughs> we know this yeah he's 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 a peter corbeau uh level side character um so 
our, Love him. Our cast of characters here is uh, we obviously have Magneto. Um, we should probably give a second to talk about his uh, his fuchsia head to toe giant M costume. Fan of it or no? Listen, I think John Romita Jr. is a very talented artist who definitely got by just by the name of his family, and that's why he's stop had it, a, stop uh, it. Forty year career in comics. <laughs> you don't actually, um, think but <laughs> I don't actually think that. That's very true. Ugh. I've seen that take, and that is a bad take. This design's bad. Oh, Magneto should not wear giant pajamas with a cape <laughs> and no sleeves that say M on it. Especially I not think to court. That's a bad design. <laughs> when you go to court, you should not wear this. I, on one hand, I think it's a subtle sign that mutants would wear mutant clothes to court. Okay. On the other hand. Hmm absolutely not what they were intending with this they thought it was a cool supervillain look <laughs> absolutely and if he wears his if he wears his actual clothes his real clothes his magneto regalia then he's going to remind everyone that he's an evil supervillain mm. uh because he tried to do a trial about that once and then it's like his helmet was evil i forget <laughs> avengers versus x-men right oh man that was bad that was good until it was bad uh last issue right that was the one where the writer switched and oh that was bad um yes yes so we have his defense attorney uh gabrielle holler who is who is defending him which is an interesting uh interesting yep. choice professor x is is on his uh i don't know he's on his last legs here he's not doing good yeah there'd been for probably about five or ten issues before this uh, Professor X got beat up by some street punks mm. and then dressed up by the Morlocks in fetish gear. Uh, <laughs> but he wasn't doing so hot. No. To the point where... Uh, anyway, he immediately goes to space. Yes. That's where you go when you got some problems. Uh, you go and hang out with the Star Jammers and let Sikorsky his do his go- thing. <laughs> Scott's... Scott's dad and Professor X's girlfriend show up at the in the middle of this and said, we gotta get him up to space. We have space technology and medicine there. And he's like, I can't hang out with my hot bird girlfriend for, <laughs> what is it, six years? Heck yeah, let's do this. This sounds great. Uh, what I love about that is that they they don't know where he is. So they go to Cyclops' house and Madeline Pryor gets so like scared by the fact that they've been visited that she starts giving birth to Cable. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, that part's that part's interesting. Um, I want I want to do this as a compliment sandwich because I'm not as hot on this book as you. Okay. Are. Um, I think the part where Magneto has to defend himself is very elegantly written and works really well as a early example. And I guess I say early. This is the like. This is Claremont laying out the ethos of who Magneto is. You had a bit of the change in 150 mm-hmm. uh, when he finally when that's when he realized this is what I want Magneto to be, but I have to get him there. Right. And this is Claremont saying this is who Magneto is, and it is the foundation for the modern Magneto, where he is a defender of mutant kind, and he will with brutal force do whatever is necessary to ensure that mutant kind does not suffer the way that his family suffered in the Holocaust. Mm. 
And I think that is a very, it's a very evocative character beat. And it's a, it's a very big statement to make. And it's one that could easily, easily, and Magneto writers have done this, easily fall into a level of, you aren't taking this real world tragedy serious enough. Mm. Yeah. And Claremont walks that tightrope with Magneto. I mean, like, he gets arrested because he went to a gathering of Holocaust survivors where at the time, you know, this is 1985, so it's only 40 years removed from people leaving the camps. And there are people who are relatives or survivors holding on to hope that perhaps their loved one made it. Right. Or someone knew something about them. And because Claremont, you know, one, grew up Jewish and grew up in the shadow of the Holocaust, Mm -hmm. he respects that and he sets all of that up in the preceding issues to make Magneto's entire deal work. And it's the most foundational work about Magneto that I think there has ever been and likely will ever be. I think you just kind of sold it there. Um, I know you were trying to undersell it a little bit, but I think I want to uh, just sort of. Well, no, that's the that's the compliment. That's the compliment bread on the compliment sandwich. I've got the top layer. I'm going to get to the meat, which is going to be not a compliment, right. and then I'm going to put another layer of compliment <laughs> bread on top. All right, before you get to the the butt of your argument. Um, I just want to expand upon what you were just saying, which is another central uh, theme of this issue is that we're acknowledging that there is a United Nations, right? We're acknowledging that there is this body that has been uh, developed with the explicit purpose of, of trying to make sure that this never happens again. And this issue very, very pointedly is like, what makes you think you can stop it from happening again? What are you actually doing to stop authoritarianism? What are you stop st- doing to stop fascism? Well, you know, it's it's pretty. It explicitly explicit. opens by saying that this is the this is the biggest global court case since the Nuremberg trials. Right. Like, it's it's not alluding to things. Chris Claremont is not a subtle writer. No. He knows he knows writers who use subtext and they are cowards. Yeah. It's Chris no, Claremont is telling you all of this. Yeah, and it's no accident that the villains of this particular um I would call this a one shot, you know, it's it almost feels like a uh you know, a one like a special of some kind, right? Oversized, um, you know, very message driven, but it's no accident that Fenris, who are Nazis, are the villains uh of this particular series. Uh, of this particular issue and and now we now we get to now we get to the center of my compliment sandwich tell me tell me your reservations here friggin hate fenris i think they're boring as all get out and i i think that the fact they're nazis is a good like thematic use of them Mm -hmm. Uh, but i also think they're boring and bad and they don't make interesting villains and they never have and i think that for me drags down this particular issue can i be a counter to that um i think that you're correct sure. about fenris in general i think fenris as a ongoing villain is dumb 
um, and doesn't really add much to anything. However, in this particular case, I think it actually works because they don't actually have a lot of screen time. We see them plotting, but most of the things that they are doing are happening off screen and by henchmen in sort of robot helmets who are then blaming uh, their activities on the X-Men. So the X-Men have to kind of guess what's going to happen next and who they can, you know, where they can stop these people. And I think that the actual symbolism of having these children of the Von Struckers come out of, you know, the, the rubble here to try and attack Magneto and Magneto saving uh, the, uh, the judges and everybody in the courthouse, I think that works really, really well. Um, so while I agree with you that Fenris going forward sucks, like here, I think it works. I agree with you that the final resolution of Magneto saving the people, not even just to save his own skin, but to say, I am not just someone who wants to see people die. I am not a merciless killer. I like... I have a very specific problem that I wish to avoid and wish to solve, and otherwise we're cool. I think that works. I am less less struck by the whole, well, the X-Men want to set Magneto free kind of, you know, LARP that Fenris pulls on the world. I don't think, that didn't get sold for me very well. That didn't work for me. I think, I think, this issue, if it was focused a little tighter on the trial in the aftermath of it, like instead of being a double issue, if this was like a one and a half times issue and you could cut some of the fat, I think it would work better for me. Hmm. But that's me. That's interesting because I don't know. When I read this, I feel like it doesn't doesn't really have fat. Like I feel like it's, it's pretty direct and streamlined. But um, that's interesting. I mean, it's just two different perceptions of the same story. I, I don't know if you agree with me, but I, I do think that this is a classic. Um, and I think that, like you said, it sets the stage for what Magneto is going to be up until today. Um, and that that's a huge, huge compliment to this issue. Yeah, I think, I think today's Magneto probably, like it, it's obviously pulling very heavily from this pathos that Claremont puts into him in this and then in the era that goes forward. And then, you know, it's the same stuff that the movies pulled for Magneto. And that's, I think, really become the cultural touch point for Magneto as an entity, yeah. for better or worse. Mm -hmm. Luckily, it pulls from the good Claremont stuff for the most part. <laughs> I think today's has that mixed with, okay, yes, but he was a haughty Silver Age supervillain. <laughs> so let's let's pepper some of that in there, too. Right. We'll uh, let him drop a satellite on so people I think every I, once in a while. I like that. Jeez, that's... <laughs> That scene's so that good. That is a great Wait, one. He, Jonathan Hickman takes two silent pages to have Magneto drop multiple satellites <laughs> on a dude. It's great. Very, very good. Um, last piece of the compliment sandwich. I really do like John Romita Jr.'s art. Love here. it. I think John Romita Jr.'s. I don't think I don't think John Romita Jr.'s at his peak because I think that comes uh pretty soon after this uh, during his Daredevil run. Yeah, uh, with Nascenti. Yeah. I think I think the stuff with Blackheart and the the hell battles mm -hmm. that he does, I think that's probably peak Ramita for me. But this is pretty good, John Ramita Jr. It's fantastic. I absolutely love it. Um, so let's rank this, buddy. And I think we probably I hope we're on the same page here. 
I think this is a top 100 story. We're probably not as... I think it is, too. Uh, It beats Excalibur Mojo Mayhem. For sure. I think you and I are not as far away from each other than we might possibly think. But I think we're going to have, like, the competition gets very fierce up here. And I think that's going to be a challenge. Absolutely. Like, at at 77 is Planet X from Morrison's New X-Men. I think this is better than Planet X. I agree. So this is a top 75 story? Um. It is. I think it's better than Iron Fist uh, 15, Enter the X-Men at 65. You had highlighted all-new X-Men 9 through 14, the one where Kitty Pride gives her good speech. Yes. I think this is better than that. I do, too. I think this is better than number 36, Generation X 1 through 3. I do not think it's better than number 32, What If Magic. That's interesting. So we're pairing trial of classic trial of Magneto against the writer of the new trial of Magneto. Um, well, let's look. Let's look at that list. Let's look at what's between that and Generation X. At thirty three is Uncanny X Men one seventy four to one seventy five, which is that time that uh, Mastermind tried to get revenge and tricked everyone into thinking that uh, right, right. There was a, the Phoenix was back, and below that is life. Life death, death is right under that. I all right. Havoc and Wolverine meltdown is right under that. So I none of these are bad no, stories. No, 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 no. These are all very yeah, good. We're in the right. We're in the right neighborhood. Um, and I agree. Like up at thirty is the Phoenix Saga, and that's definitely better than this. So I think that I would put this in between Life, Death, and Meltdown. I would put it ahead of Meltdown. I think that's right. All right. I think that's right. That feels right. This is our new number 35, The Trial of Magneto. Jeez. I hope we did okay. I don't want the show to end. We're booked with requests into the next decade. What are we going to do? What's the matter? Can't take the heat? Yeah, can't take the heat? Maybe you shouldn't have podcasted in the kitchen. Oh, burn. Zach, I can't take much more of these guys. They're driving me nuts. Silence. The jury appears to have reached a verdict. We have, Your Honor. Please read the verdict. Their methods are weird, but I can't argue with the results. Not guilty. I mean, I like ranking things, and they did that. Not guilty. You guys, I thought we said guilty. Uh, what they said, not guilty. There aren't really any other X-Men podcasts. What would we do without this one? Not guilty. This is malarkey. They can't be serious. Well, this was a complete and utter waste of everyone's time. Zachary Jenkins, Adam Reck, the jury has found you not guilty. You're free to continue your somewhat tolerable excuse for a show. I don't know, for another 200 episodes, I guess. Now get out of my courtroom. Dismissed. All rise. We did it. We saved the show. You know, for a second there, I, I thought we were toast. I propose a toast. Is that champagne? No, it's delicious microbrewed craft IPA and tiny flute glasses. To 200? To 200. You know, that was fun. <laughs> We've had a lot of really good memories uh, over the last 200 episodes, Adam. 
We've got to meet each other one whole time. <laughs> uh, we've got to do some really exciting and fun interviews with uh, some incredible creators. Uh, we, and we've got to have a lot of fun reading a lot of fun stories. Uh, and I legitimately am so happy that we've done this every week for 200 weeks now. Uh, and it's been great. And I'm super happy that I get to do it with my friend, Adam. Oh, Zach, thank you so much. I, uh, I still can't believe that we are almost to our fourth anniversary here with this show. Uh, 200 episodes definitely feels like a milestone. And, uh, I just want to thank everybody who helped us out, uh, with this episode. So we did have crossover with, uh, WMQ and a, and uh chris is on infinite earths and if you're not listening to those shows go check them out that's matt lazowitz and dan grote for wmq and a and chris and christy edelman for chris is on infinite earths uh like adam said go check them out they are both shows that are hosted on comics xf and they are great uh i love them uh, wmq and a is an awesome interview show that has some fantastic guests i believe uh, when this episode goes up, their latest guest will have been Adam Gorham uh, for the Blue Flame uh, and also New Mutants Dead Souls fame. And then I believe the episode that they have running tomorrow has America's number one draw draw boy, Kyle Starks. Nice. Nice. Very cool. Um, yeah, I think it's just incredible that like we're over 500 stories. We're over. We're we're going soon to over 200 episodes it's just bonkers and uh zach you have been the steadfast anchor for this entire thing um it has been amazing to see our audience grow it's been amazing to see comics xf uh come out of xavier files and i feel like we're just in this this bold new future here it's really great so uh thanks to everybody who listens to this y'all who are listening you are incredible uh, if you've been here with us from the beginning, that's absolutely wild. Uh, if this is your first episode, hey, welcome. There's some good stuff in the backlog. Go check it out. Or don't. <laughs> you don't have to. You can just start from here. It's fine. It's a, it's 199 other episodes. It's a lot of podcasts. Uh, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't be doing this without y'all's help, and we wouldn't be doing this with the help of some of our friends, uh, especially the ones who showed up on this episode. Uh, like Charlie Davis, uh, Vishal Gulapali, uh, Thomas Cummins, uh, Stephanie Burt. And our jurors, Tony Thornley, Austin Gorton, Will Nevin, and Armand Babu. Everyone who has left a review or talked about the show or done anything, y'all are great. I, I cannot even put into words how cool it is. Not that we have this show but that we have this show in that I have heard from multiple people who are excited to listen to it every week. Like that's weird and wild and I can't really process it. Uh, but thank y'all. Yeah. It is still absolutely bonkers to get a message out of the blue that says that, you know, this show means something to you. So um, just thank you. Thank you everybody for listening. And uh, we, we've got more coming in the future. Um, as always, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy, uh, Zach, I know they can't follow you on Twitter, but, uh, they can always follow your adventures at comics XF. Nope. <laughs> yep. Comics XF. It's a great comic book website. You should go check it out. We do other things that aren't just comics sometimes. Um, it's pretty good. There's some really good, really good content on it. 
and yeah, go check that out or on Twitter at ComicsXF. If you want to support the site, support the show, support all the stuff that you enjoy, patreon.com slash ComicsXF. That's the spot. It's If you listen to podcasts, you know how Patreons work, so I'm not going <laughs> to walk you through it. But you may you may enjoy the wares that we have there. Um, Adam, I don't know what we're I was going to say. I don't think we know what... I, I, guess it was, I guess it was up in the air... About if we were still going to have a podcast next week. It's true. That's There's a little little gap there. But um, there will be an episode 201. Don't you worry, folks. And you'll you'll hear about whatever that's going to be soon enough. You absolutely will. But until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. And we hope you survive the experience.